Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. and welcome to episode 74 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Oh, it won't be long till we're in uh, triple digits. I know. Tell me mm. about it. Triple mm. digits. Well, I'd like to thank you again for tuning in to us here at the Weird, Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast, especially seeing as I'm sure that you guys have got lots of things to do at the moment, just like us, like clean everything and yeah. move everything and sort everything and... I've got something for you to do today as well. Oh, another thing? Yeah. What? I need you to hang another picture. Where are all these pictures suddenly coming from? They've been hidden away, that's the whole point. Jeez, I tell you, I've done more hanging pictures, hanging shelves. Keep moaning I'm I'll hang you. It's not very nice, is it? No. Most people have to worry about coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> i got to worry about my wife. <laughs> Actually, speaking about that, we don't want to labour on that for too long because that's not what we're about here. But I did want to say something. For those of you who don't know, I'm on an immunosuppressive drug for my colitis and Crohn's, which I've, I've mentioned on here before. As a result of that, I'm strictly classed as vulnerable. And I was trying to order some parts the other day for making the shelf that I needed to make. And I needed some wood. Which I did not request said shelf. No. And it did not benefit me in any way. No, it was a shelf for me in my wardrobe that I wanted to put up. There was wasted space and I thought a shelf could go in there and I could use that. But anyway, I got in touch with a a local builder's merchants and said, look, is there any chance you can deliver it for us? They don't usually do deliveries unless it's a big order, but... This was literally just a couple of pieces of wood and some screws. And uh, they said, well, seeing as you're vulnerable, we'll give it to you for nothing and we'll deliver it for you for free as well. So they gave me the wood, they gave me the screws and they delivered it free of charge. They gave you wood for free. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It makes a change. (laughs) You're usually telling me about my mate Nathan giving oh, me wood. Oh, yeah, well, you know, Nathan at Nathan at Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you call him Nathan at Because he's like your female counterpart, isn't he? He's not female, he's male. Well, then you can be the female half. I'm not female. Don't let the name fool you. <laughs> anyway, County Industrial Supplies is the name of the place in Monmouth that donated that for me free of charge i'd like to thank joe there i really really do appreciate it it was it was so nice of you guys to do and uh really didn't expect it i was happy to pay for it but um they said no no in your hour of need we would rather give it to you for nothing you remember when i was back home and i was working in a waffle house yes i do remember that yeah you worked so hard is unbelievable in that place yeah well for those who don't know waffle house is a restaurant that sells waffles and some other things. Um, very, very fast-paced What was the stuff you had to call out? Scattered, smothered? <laughs> Hash browns. Yeah. Yeah, so if it was a plain one, it would be in a ring. And if it, if it wasn't and it had stuff in it, it wouldn't be in a ring. It would be scattered. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Quit trying to make a ring joke because most people won't get it. <laughs> so... There is a thing called the Waffle House Index. Look it up. It's a real thing. And it basically is that FEMA, which is the federal emergency response, they started to use Waffle House as a bit of a indicator of how bad something was. Because if the Waffle House was still open, it wasn't really that bad. But the Waffle Houses are now closed and I think they've been around like 50-something years and this is the first time where Waffle Houses have closed. Yeah, I remember when you guys were dealing with some really nasty uh, tornadoes that were coming and 
I can remember me being here and you still being in America and you being really worried because you had to go to work the next day and there was a whole load of uh, tornadoes that were heading up. Also, hurricanes it was. Was it? And I can yeah. I can remember saying to you, well, then just call them and tell them it's not safe to go in. And you said that, no, that as far you've as the Waffle House are concerned, anyway. you've got to go <laughs> in anyway. That's absolutely bizarre. But they were open when there was no power. We were still using whatever means that we had because uh, the gas grills and things to make food for people. And um, so, yeah, it was pretty cool. So, and like I said, point being that this coronavirus thing actually shut down waffle houses. Anyway. anyway. Yeah, come on. Let's let's upbeat, guys. Come on. Thank you very much. Let's Let's get this upbeat. Okay, so we had a last-minute cancellation of an interview and this person happened to contact us the next day and said, really be up for an interview. And we thought, great, let's go for it. Boy, I wish I'd done my research, as you will find out during (laughs) this, because this guy knows his stuff. It's not necessarily a subject that I would normally have run to straight away. It's not something that I subscribe to. Uh, but we don't have to. But No, but we don't have to. But at the same time, I wish that I knew more about it so I could have posed some more interesting questions or at least given some more cogent arguments. So what we've got lined up for you today is a chat with a guy named Lee Austin, and he believes that the Earth is flat. And he's written a book which was written under the guise of Lucifer himself. Telling it, you why he thinks the world is flat. Exactly. And the book is called Morning Star's Tale. But without any further ado, please welcome to the show, Lee Austin. Hi, Lee. Hi, Bella. Hi, Shelley. How are you doing? It's good to hear you. You're in Florida, I believe. Yes, I'm in Florida. And like everybody else, or at least a billion people right now, I'm in uh, self-quarantine. And on top of it, we've got a drought. So the days are beautiful <laughs> and isolating. Yeah. I think we're getting some of that here at the moment because, like you, we're in isolation as well. And the sun is shining. And it's amazing how many people are complaining. They're saying, how come we suddenly have nice weather when we're not allowed to go outside? And and my answer is, well, open the doors to your garden, guys, and make your living room a little bit bigger and go and sit outside. No one's saying you can't sit on your own land. Go and enjoy the summer. I think that if we've all got to spend time isolated much better be doing it in the garden with a nice cup of something cold and i was awakened this morning by a woodpecker i i thought it was uh, they're doing some construction on a house next door to me and i thought it was the construction workers when in fact it was just a woodpecker and, and i got up and i thought you know the woodpecker isn't very stressed right now over uh coronavirus so i don't think i will be either and i'm doing exactly what you said even before you recommended it i've got all the windows open yeah uh every sunshine is coming in I, i'm in a great mood i i can't control people places and things so i'm just gonna let whatever happens happens but i'm not gonna let it steal my joy yeah no absolutely right and i think that's definitely the message we want to be putting out here before we get into your book can you tell our listeners a little bit about you and your background certainly yeah i've been in radio well, broadcasting in general for about 30 years I was working at a 50,000-watt Texas radio station back in 2007, and I decided to change the format from country to rock and conspiracy theory. So (laughs) in the morning, I would play Led Zeppelin and talk about JFK. It was a... different type of show. I did that for six years. Then I moved to Austin and did a national show for a couple of years. Asked me if I knew anything about the flat earth. And I said, yeah, it's insane. And and you're insane because anyone (laughs) who thinks the earth is flat is out of their freaking mind. And that is a normal reaction for anybody. So I decided to disprove this caller. So I began my own research. And as time went on, I began talking about it more on the show until eventually management got me in a corner and said, you've got to stop talking about flat earth. We're losing credibility. And I said, I think there's something to this. And they go, what are you talking about? I go, as I continue to try to disprove it, the evidence is beginning to line up the other way. I want to continue going down this particular rabbit hole and see where it takes me. So about eight months later, I came to the conclusion that 5150 at the time, I believe it's flat. At that point, they fired me from the job. I came back to Florida 
about two months back in Florida, I decided to write this book called Morningstar's Tale, which is Lucifer explaining how the flat earth and universe works. It took about a year to write with five revisions, but it was an incredibly strange series of events that led to the book. But yeah, I've been in radio for about 30 years, although I haven't worked in it for the last couple. Right now, I make my living as a logistics coordinator in the trucking industry. But other than promoting the book, that's pretty much all I do. You said that at that particular point, you were 5150 that the world was flat. Would you say you are 100% convinced that it is now? Yes. I haven't seen it. I can't prove it. But in my heart, uh, I'm all in. I, I'm Jim Jones. I drank the Kool-Aid. I, <laughs> I completely believe that the earth is flat. And it was only by going through a series of very uncomfortable experiments that I came to that conclusion. Because nobody really wants to be a flat earther. I mean, who wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know, I'd like to be ridiculed by everyone about a theory that I believe in. And it just, you know, for most people, it isn't worth it. But for me, it was. Every conspiracy theory that I've ever investigated has been dark. For example, JFK is a dark conspiracy theory. Yeah. Now, I remember going to Dealey Plaza and actually standing on the spot where he was shot, but it's very sad and depressing. Flat Earth is the only conspiracy theory I've ever investigated that has given me hope and more faith in intelligent design. It, it's an amazing journey for anybody to take. And for goodness sake, if you believe that the Earth is flat the first time you've heard it, you probably have mental problems because <laughs> you've got to go through a series of steps. It's almost like death. And one of them is denial, anger, and eventually reconciliation to the truth that perhaps there is something to this theory. Who was responsible for bringing the flat earth theory back to us now? It's been around for the last 500 years. It was 500 years ago that Galileo had the notion that the heliocentric theory, that is the earth and the planets revolve around the sun, he was considered a heretic and put in jail. And now here it is 500 years later, where if you say you believe in the geocentric theory, you're considered a heretic. It became relevant again in that it was talked about in the late 19th century, but it really has only been in the last seven years that it has come to prominence again. Uh, gentlemen like Eric Dubay in Thailand, uh, Mark Sargent, who I've interviewed, Robbie Davidson, another gentleman I've interviewed, Rob Skiba. These are individuals in the media who have been investigating the flat earth. It's only been around really prominently again for the last seven years. I became a believer in 2016. And if you do the math, I'm 62. So for, you know, when I became aware 58 years of my life, I believe the earth was round. So this is a, a recent revelation to me but really what happened was YouTube began displaying and allowing people to talk about flat earth and it, it caught on fire. And now YouTube has taken the attitude they don't want this topic talked about. And so the algorithms are designed in a way to punish those that actually talk about flat earth. So the answer to your question is about seven years. Okay. And who was it you said sort of brought it back? Well, one of the first was a guy named Eric Dubay. He's, a, as I mentioned, he's a gentleman who lives in Thailand, and he started talking about flat earth. Then there's a guy in the Seattle area, Mark Sargent. He started talking about clues to flat earth. Another guy in the north, uh, actually in Edmonton, Robbie Davidson, he uh, put together the flat earth conferences, the last three of them, the last one being in uh, Dallas, but he is no longer going to be organizing these conferences. What's happening is that there's a a fraction within the faction. There are some that look at it from a Christian point of view. There are other that, others that just look at it as purely scientific. Others are a lot more esoteric. So what's happened is there's a lot of division even in the flat earth. And truth be told, nobody knows what this place looks like because we're not allowed to go up and we're not allowed to go south. A lot of people don't realize this, but it is illegal to go to the South Pole. But you can go to the North Pole. Correct. Yeah. In 1958, they passed what is known as the Antarctic Treaty. And 58 nations agreed to the fact that nobody would explore Antarctica. And this was after Richard Byrd 
had an exploration down there and said there was a continent larger than the United States of, that is largely unexplored, and it's unexplained why no one has had any desire to explore it. So what happened was Bird goes down to Antarctica in 57. He claims to find a land well beyond the uh, ice wall. And the next year, they passed the Antarctic Treaty, which prevents anyone from going to the South Pole. And then the following year, NASA is established, which really prevents anyone from going straight up. So I look at it as above and south have been fenced off. So we can't even explore on our own to come to our own conclusions. It's illegal to go to the South Pole. And the reason I believe that's true is that there is no South Pole and there is no Antarctica. Obviously, you could see Antarctica on, for instance, Google Maps, and you can even go on to Street View, and they've got several scientific stations there that you can go and have a look at and have a walk around. And so are you saying that those have been put there really as a ruse? Yes. The next question is, well, how can so many people be in on this conspiracy theory? Are you telling me that the entire military, all of NASA, all of the other space agencies in the world are in on this conspiracy theory? And the answer is no. And the analogy I give is my own job. I work as a logistics coordinator. Essentially, what I do is I sit at a desk and broker contracts for truckers around the world and freight. I have no idea what goes on at the company. There are inner workings of the company I know nothing about. I have a supervisor who reports to a supervisor who reports to the owner. And it's the same thing with NASA. Everything is compartmentalized. You have a guy looking at a screen, and he's told, you're in charge of this system, and this guy is in charge of that system. But they don't know what's going on. And when you consider that only 12 men have actually allegedly been on the moon, only those 12 need to keep that secret and those that conspired to keep it a secret. So it's not many people that are, quote unquote, in on it. It's a very small group of people. As George Carlin once said, it's a, it's a big group, and you and I are not part of the big group. Talking about what it looks like or describing it, I've been reading your book, and I think of it as almost like a snow globe, and we're inside the snow globe on the bottom. Is that a good analogy? That is scary accurate. Another good analogy, have you seen The Truman Show? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. The best way to explain it, and I'll just read it from the book. And again, the book is narrated by Lucifer. It is written in a very interesting way, I must say. If I were to write the book, everyone would think, oh, this is just some guy living in his mother's basement with a tinfoil hat. But having Lucifer narrate it gives it credibility, as strange as that sounds. So he basically decides to tell the truth because his nature is to lie. But he knows telling the truth you won't believe him anyway, and he gets a kick out of that. So there's a there's a perverse sense of humor running throughout all of it, yeah. because the author of lies is saying, "I'm going to tell you the truth, but you're not going to believe it anyway." So here's the truth. Yeah. Um, in the opening chapter two, and I'll just read briefly. Lucifer says, "My Earth is flat, with a sea firmament dome above, a diamond-shaped underworld below. It is the floor of the universe and ground zero of the first heaven." My flat earth is the only physical plane in existence. Take a deep breath. Nothing is as it seems. But you're right. It is, It is using the snow globe analogy, is a good one. We're on the base of it. Does the base spin or turn like we're told the earth does? It is held up by, and again, I'm just going to tell you what I believe and what I've discovered. It's held up by nothing. I should give you full disclosure at the beginning that I am a Christian, and ironically, I have more, I've had more resistance from the Christian community than the secular community. People that don't believe in God are more open to this than people that do believe in God. It's almost as if it's easier to teach a child than a, an adult that's got all this clutter in their mind. You would almost think it would be the opposite. You would think the opposite would be more true. Well, yeah, because the, the flat earth theory suggests that it was created yeah. and therefore would support a creator theory. It is the most confounding part of the flat earth is that the Christian community, for the most part, rejects it. Most Christians say, well, the thought of evolution is insanity. 
God created man. Okay. Then they go to the same scientists and the same scientists say to them, you live on a ball. It rotates at a thousand miles an hour. It's traveling around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And that galaxy is moving at half a million miles an hour. And Christians go, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just weird to me that those that reject evolution, which for the most part are Christians, would embrace the heliocentric theory, which is propagated by the same scientists. It's just strange bedfellows. This world then, this flat earth, doesn't sit on anything? It's just where? It sits on a cornerstone. Let me explain that I'm just not pulling this stuff out of my head. What I did when I came back to Florida was I took the Bible I got uh, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, and then I bought, I didn't buy, I went to the library and got some books on the occult, including um, The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manley Hall, which is the encyclopedia of the occult. It was written in the 1920s, and the book actually sold for $150 a copy back in the uh, 20s. And it's just basically an encyclopedia of the occult. So what I decided to do was look at both spiritual ends, the God side, the Satan side, and then take a look at the scientific side and look at all of it as objectively as I could. And the conclusion I gained, I came to was that all of the books were saying the same thing. They were all coming to the same conclusion, whether it was the Bible or the secret teachings of all ages or the Book of Enoch, or the Secrets of the Book of Enoch, or the Book of Jubilees, or all these other esoteric books, they all were pointing towards a flat, immovable earth. Probably the biggest objection to the flat earth is the issue of curvature. Would you like to go down that little corner for a moment? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. I live on the east coast of Florida, so I go to the beach a lot. I'm 6'1", and on average, you can see three miles out. And at three miles, you see the horizon, and that's usually where you see boats drop over the horizon, which, of course, proves the Earth is curved. There's no doubt about it. But the problem is it's a question of perspective. I have gone to the beach myself with a pair of binoculars, and I've seen a boat go over the horizon, put on a pair of binoculars, and it comes back into view. Well, the question then becomes, how can that be? If the boat is over the horizon, and then I put on a pair of binoculars and it comes back into view, it's a question of perspective. Everything is a question of perspective. For example, if I was five stories high in an apartment building on the beach, I could see further out. Instead of three miles, I might see five. And they've had balloons go up to 120,000 feet, and there's no curvature. And there is a curvature uh, equation. It's the, called the uh, Pythagorean curvature equation. And basically, it's one mile equals eight inches of curvature, and then it squares itself. One of the best examples I've ever seen of the Earth being flat is from St. Joseph, Michigan, to Chicago. Now, there's a 60-mile distance between St. Joseph, Michigan, and the Chicago skyline across Lake Michigan. And on a clear day, someone had filmed the Chicago skyline, which makes absolutely no sense. Because according to the Pythagorean curvature equation, the Willis Tower, which is the tallest building in Chicago, should be about 1,400 feet under the curve. But you could see the entire skyline. There's a, an infamous clip on YouTube of a WGN Chicago newsman, a weatherman, explaining that it's a mirage because you normally shouldn't see that. But you can also see the Toronto skyline in a, like, a similar manner. So my point is there's numerous experiences and experiments, and I've done some myself, that prove that there's no curvature. It's a question of perspective. And it's the same thing with the sun. People say, well, I can see the sun set. You're, you're seeing the sun go over the horizon, but again, it's a question of perspective. In the flat Earth model, the sun and the moon are actually above the flat plane of the Earth, and they're rotating clockwise. And they do that in a 24-hour period, 15 degrees per hour. What you think is the sun rising or setting is, again, a question of perspective. Because, for example, where you're at right now in the UK, it's coming up on 5 o'clock. So the sun is beginning to 
appear more in the western portion of the sky. Yep. Whereas here on the east coast of Florida, we're in the eastern time zone, it's almost right above me. Again, we're both looking at the same sun, but it's a question of perspective. So the sun never really sets. It's illuminating half of the Earth all of the time as it rotates around and above the flat plane. And the sun is a lot closer, and so is the moon. They say the sun is 92 million miles away. And yet they also say the moon is the same size as the sun, which they appear to be. And they say the reason that the moon and the sun appear to be the same size is that the moon is 400 times closer to the earth than the sun, and it's 400 times smaller than the sun. The problem with the heliocentric theory is that it takes a lot of faith to believe it. And I don't have enough faith to believe all of these numbers they're throwing out. But these numbers obviously come from scientists, from research, and are backed up by some form of evidence, whether it be the length of time it takes to send light to a particular body and then have it return, etc., which is what they're doing with working out the, the distances to stars and other planets. Are you saying that all of that data that is coming from these scientists is false and that all of the scientists in all of the universities around the world are, are in on it too? No, and yes, they are not all in on it. But yes, they're wrong. And just saying that sounds a bit of arrogance, and and I don't mean it to be, but I believed everything they said. Think about it. You and I, you, myself, and Bella, what was the first thing you noticed when you walked into first grade? What was one of the first physical objects you saw? Oh, well, I know that you're leading me towards the globe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When I came to the conclusion that the Earth was flat, I was shocked. All the evidence is pointing otherwise. Let me give you another example. The moon, the phases of the moon have always perplexed me from a heliocentric point of view. For example, when the moon is half lit, what's causing the other half to be dark? Oh, it's in the shadow of the earth because the sun's on the opposite side of the earth. I understand that, but it's a straight line. What's causing the straight line when the earth is round? The numbers, the numbers don't, they don't make sense. I'll give you an example. In the book of Enoch, and this was an extra biblical text, take it for what it's worth. But what he said made sense to me. And when I look up into the night sky, it completely makes sense. He says, and again, this is from the book of Enoch, the sun pours its light into the moon and the moon reflects its own light. We have always been taught that the moon reflects the sun's light. In the book of Enoch, what he's saying is two things. One, the moon and the sun are the same size. And the sun pours its light into the moon and over a 14-day period fills the moon up like a light. And so every day, another 14th of the moon becomes illuminated. Then you have a full moon. And then over the next 14 days, it begins to extinguish itself. And, you know, as it's filling, it's waxing. And as it's dissipating, it's waning. And they've done experiments where the moonlight is colder than the adjacent shadow. In other words, if you're out on a full moonlit night and you get out a temperature gauge, you, you'll find and discover that the temperature of moonlight is actually colder than in an adjacent shadow. And you would think it would be just the opposite. So the conclusion is the moon illuminates its own unique colder light and the sun obviously illuminates a warmer light. And in the book, Morning Star's Tale, I actually break down the cycles of the moon and the sun and the fact that we didn't go to the moon. And this is where I may go down a different road than some other flat earthers. I believe that the reason we never went to the moon is not because we can't get there. We can get there, but we can't land on it because, in fact, it's a light. You can't land on a light. And that's why no one's ever been to the moon. That's why NASA destroyed all the telemetry data, and that's why they destroyed all the equipment, because they never went, because you can't land on a light. Okay, we'll come back to that, because <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other thing. Okay, right, we'll come back to that. By the way, when we're done with this interview, my, my, my hope is that both of your heads are spinning. They, they're already <laughs> spinning. They're already spinning. So, they, okay, 
a question then. If it's just a light and you say that it is absorbing light, you, you didn't say absorbing, you said it was being filled with light and then you said it was extinguishing. If you think of, say, for instance, a light bulb that is being filled with light by the filament inside, I appreciate that what you're talking about is something external filling it, but the filament is filling that globe with light. When the, the filament starts to extinguish, you don't see straight lines putting the same question back to you that you are describing on the moon the bulb just gets dimmer so what then if it is filling and then releasing its light what is creating those straight lines there there must be some mechanical something in there that is sort of forcing the light out and moving across inside covering it with darkness again do you, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, you, you make a really good point. And the only answer I can come up with is intelligent design. It makes no sense from our physiological world. When a bulb begins to extinguish, it, it, it becomes, uh, all of it becomes duller. Why is it that this moon continues the same brightness, but a, a slice, it's almost as if a slice of pie. It's taken away each day. And how does that happen? And the only answer I can give you is intelligent design. I have no idea. Are you saying that the sun and the moon are the same size and then the sun fills up the moon? But if the moon is only light, what's it filling? Is it some... Uh, I don't. I know what I'm trying to say, but I don't... Just go into this suspension of disbelief for a moment. The, the idea, intelligent design is responsible for the sun. When I say pouring, I, I, I think the, the term you used earlier, Shelley, is more accurate. It, it literally is filling it up. It is filling it up almost like uh, a bucket Charging of water. <laughs> each day, yeah, each day is filling it up one fourteen until it's eventually filled. And each day, that layer is lit. And again, it's it's intelligent design. So let me take a step back and kind of give you an overview of what it looks like. And again, this is from the book. The sun and the moon rotate clockwise below the sea firmament dome. That's another topic. So there's a sea firmament dome above the earth, part of the snow globe. So they're below it, the sun and the moon. Uh, they alternate evenly below and above the sun. During the day, the blue sky is visible through the dark part of the waxing or waning moon. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but you can actually see stars sometimes during the day mm -hmm. shine through the moon. And since the 15th century, there have been 50 eclipses featuring the sun and moon above the horizon. So if the sun and the moon are both above the horizon, it's impossible that the earth is casting a shadow on the moon. So every time the book explains something, it asks another question and takes you down another rabbit hole. And, and again, I know all of this is it's a lot to digest in an hour, and I don't expect anybody to to get all of it. That's why I recommend buying the book. It's only 80 pages long, and it's more like an instructional manual than anything else. Reminds me a lot of a, a rechargeable battery putting everything into the moon, and then the moon's got that life, and then you know, it starts to lose it, like a battery would lose charge. Well, I did the same thing. I just bought some solar lights for my house a couple of weeks ago, and it's kind of the same principle. During the day, the solar light absorbs uh, the sunlight with the little panels above it, mm -hmm. and then at night, it, it fully illuminates. The only difference is the moon doesn't fully illuminate except after being filled for 14 days, and then yeah. the, it's only full for a day or two, and then it begins to lose the light. But the moon really clarified that we're being lied to because you and I can discuss, argue, disagree about the flat earth because we're standing on it. Nobody knows for sure what this place looks like, but you and I can look at the moon and I can say, how, how come it's half lit? How come the moonlight is colder than the adjacent shadow? How come the moon and sun are the same size? There's just so many parts of the heliocentric theory that don't make sense when you use common sense and you look at it like a child. Okay, what are my senses telling me? Do you think the other planets 
are individual snow globes. Or are there other planets? Is it just painted onto the sea firmament dome? No, it's not painted at all. I believe there are also lights. The planets, and again, this is where I might go down a different road than some flat earthers, because I'm looking at it more from a, not just a, a cosmo, cosmological point of view, but a spiritual point of view. Um, the lights are, in fact, what are called luminaries. And again, if you go to the intelligent design angle of it, only the sun and the moon are below the dome. When you look in a telescope, you'll notice that whether you're looking at a star or a planet, it doesn't look at all like NASA says. It seems to be almost a blinking orb, this, this light. And in the Book of Enoch, he talks about the fact that the stars are, in fact, luminaries that are on the other side encased within the water of the dome. And this is where, of all the things I'm going to talk about today, this is the hardest one to believe. And it's even hard for me to believe it, but I do. Above us is a dome, a sea firmament dome. And above that dome is an ocean, a greater ocean. When Enoch was taken up to the uh, top of the first heaven, he said he saw an ocean greater than any earthly ocean. So believe it or not, not only do we live in a snow globe, but above us is a great ocean. And encased in that ocean are the luminaries. And I don't expect anyone to believe that if they're hearing this for the first time, because of all the aspects and proponents and parts of the flat earth theory, this is the most insane to comprehend and believe. So these luminaries are like swimming or whatever in an ocean. I don't know how, but they're alive. If you want to see aliens, just look up into the night sky. According to the book of Enoch, these are sentient beings. They're alive, they're lights, and they're part of uh, intelligent design. The fact of the matter is that all of this was created for man and that the earth is the center of the universe. And it, at night, you know, you have the North Star Polaris. And if you, if you use time-lapse photography, everything is revolving around Polaris. And some will say, okay, well, that proves the heliocentric theory. But it doesn't because in the heliocentric theory, you're moving 66,000 miles per hour. So we're coming into spring. So go six months ahead, fall, you're in a completely different part of space. And you should see a completely different view of all the stars. Yet every night, we see the same arrangement of stars. How can that be unless the stars are rotating around us and that Earth is the center of the universe? It's funny because I used to be into photography a lot. And there was a photograph around the time of Hale-Bob, actually. But there was a photograph that actually won quite a major award and it did exactly what you said. It was in some desert somewhere, and the guy took a flash of a of a cactus in front of him. So initially the cactus was illuminated, but directly above the cactus was a North Star or Polaris, and then he left it on an open aperture for however many hours. And when the picture came out, you saw this daylight picture of this cactus with this night sky behind it and this exact 360 degree swirl of all of these stars rotating around that central point and I remember thinking then did he get the right time of year to do that did he set that in his diary to make sure that that was going to be directly in that position at that time but what you're saying is and I've never really thought about it before is that we are seeing the same stars every single night irrespective of the time of year. Correct. And if your friend were to do that every night for a year, he would essentially have the same, same photo. thing. I never realized that. Yep. That That's new on me. Okay. <laughs> so, so that gives you a little something that, to think that about. Gives, that gives it? me something to think about because <laughs> that, that's, the, that's the first little thing that's made me think there might be something to this. <laughs> have you given any thought to airplanes? Well, I, actually, it's funny you should say that because I – Again, I didn't read as much of your book as what Bella did because I was I was doing other things today as well. But sleeping, um, no. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I am 
actually a bit of a an aviation enthusiast. I've only been on one flying lesson, which You're which I yeah, thank you very much, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. If I have my time again, I'd love to be a pilot. And I actually contacted today i'm not going to say his name on the air because he hasn't responded to me yet a, a pilot that i certainly highly regard and he's he's a world-renowned pilot and most people would know his name and i've had a conversation with him in the past and i got in contact with him and said that i was going to be coming on to the show today to speak to someone who was a proponent of the flat earth theory and the part of the book where you talk about the i can't think of the word Oh, it's artificial horizon. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're such a such a plane enthusiast. I can't remember the name of artificial horizon. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The wings. The yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the artificial the horizon and the <laughs> and the fact that you sort of say that if there if there was a curvature to the Earth, then you would expect that. Uh, artificial horizon to be changing and adapting to the curvature of the earth and so i got in touch with him and said what would be your response to that being a pilot and like i said i haven't had a response back yet but i did send it to him sort of like late this morning so you know he may not have got round to reading it or he may be doing other things yet if he comes back to me then i'll give him the opportunity to to come back maybe on another show and just explain his side of it but what would you say then? How does the interior of a plane's cockpit actually support your theory? Well, we'll go back to the artificial horizon. And, you know, I'm sure there's a few people out there that don't know what we're talking about. An artificial horizon is a way for the pilot to keep the plane flying level. It's a, it's a ball. And really what it is, it's a, it's a gyroscope. It's mechanical. It's the only mechanical, non-electrical instrument on a plane, and it's a basic gyroscope. So it helps the pilot fly the plane level. If he's going too high, the artificial horizon will indicate that he needs to you know, either go up or down. When a pilot is flying, he's cruising, let's say from London to New York. Once he attains altitude, let's say of 36,000 feet, he doesn't have to compensate for the curvature of the earth because the earth isn't curved. But the reason is in the pudding and the pudding is the gyroscope doesn't curve. If, if in fact the earth was round, the gyroscope would automatically pull back indicating the pilot has to compensate because if the pilot didn't constantly nose down the plane, eventually he's just going to fly off into space. Logically, that's another proof that the earth is flat. And I think most pilots either really haven't given it much thought or they don't want to say anything because if a pilot comes out and says the earth is flat, he's not going to be a pilot anymore. So there's a lot of pressure to not talk about this. So when the plane is flying, so it takes off and it goes up, and it gradually incre increases in altitude, whatever. Are you saying once it gets there, it just goes straight? It doesn't have to do, it doesn't have to correct itself or move or change until it goes to land. Correct. Let's say the pilot takes a nap, it's on automatic pilot, and it dips a couple thousand feet. You know, he would then have to compensate for it. But since it's flying across a flat plane, and of course the earth isn't perfectly flat, there's there's oceans and, and there's things, yeah. Death Valley and, you know, there's there's dips, the Dead Sea, that's another low point. But for all intents and purposes, he just flies straight. When you leave Heathrow and you're heading to New York, once you get out of London airspace and you attain altitude and you're on your course, the pilot just sets it on autopilot, whatever the altitude might be, 36,000 or 42,000 feet. And he just flies in a straight line. And the only reason he doesn't is perhaps there's bad weather ahead or a wind shear or other jets. But once he sets his course, there's really nothing left to do because the plane will fly level by itself. It does not have to compensate for the curvature of the Earth because there isn't any. Isn't the artificial horizon just showing its orientation based on its orientation to the earth it would have to go the same speed as the earth well not necessarily because same... if, if let's say actually she makes you just made a very good point bella just made a very good point think about this the earth right now at the equator and again this is the heliocentric theory i'm not making these numbers up 
is moving at 940 miles an hour. Now, where you're at in uh, uh, the UK, it's not spinning as fast, if you believe in you know the heliocentric theory, maybe 740 miles an hour. How does a plane compensate for the spin? If it's moving towards New York and New York is moving towards London, wouldn't the plane get there a lot faster? And conversely, if you're flying from New York to London, wouldn't it take a lot longer? But they're about the same flight time. But isn't the atmosphere moving with the Earth? Isn't that why we got winds? And Well, you have winds, but you don't have winds of 940 miles an hour. What they're saying is that you're moving right now fast. We are both moving faster than the speed of sound. Does it feel like we're moving that fast? Only feels like we're moving when I'm drunk, but that's different. <laughs> well, that's that's the, the drunk uh, heliocentric theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't answer that. I really can't. I should have done my homework. Like I said, I mean, you're not going to become a believer after an, a one-hour interview. It took me eight months, and... I was dragging my feet all the way. I, I didn't want to believe this. Um, it, it's so much information. It takes a while to digest it. Basically, you're sitting down, and I'm giving you five pounds of steak, and I'm saying, eat. And you're like, gosh, can I can I take some home in a doggy bag? <laughs> uh, to be fair, I, I actually work with somebody who believes that the world is flat, and she is a very educated lady. And when she told us... Oh, yeah. You know, it was just one of those conversations you have. And she was like, oh, well, you, you wouldn't believe if I, if I told you the world was flat. And we were like, no. And she was like, oh, well, let me get a cup of tea <laughs> and I'm going to sit and I'm going to tell you about it. And she drew it on a piece of paper and she was talking about how the North Pole was actually in the center, you know, and she was going into this whole thing. And by the end of it, we were all going, hmm. Okay. What do you think would be the answer then to the hurricanes that swirl sort of anti-clockwise in the northern hemisphere and then cyclones clockwise in the southern hemisphere? Well, they attribute that to what is called the Coriolis effect. Mm. And the Coriolis effect is the reason they say that planes don't have to tip their nose down, that the Coriolis effect takes care of that. As far as, you know, hurricanes, and they say the same thing with toilets, that if you flush a toilet in the southern hemisphere, it goes in one direction. And then if you flush it in the northern, it goes in, in another. I, I have seen experiments where they go in either direction, depending. Probably the best way to describe all this is to really explain what the sun is doing in the seasons, because we're coming into that season now. You want me to touch briefly on how seasons actually work? Yeah, do it. Okay. As you know, if you believe in the heliocentric theory, the Earth is tilted at uh, 23 and a half degrees or so, and that accounts for the sun. In the in the uh, winter, the sun is lower on the horizon, and in the summer, it's more it's higher. On the flat Earth model, what happens is that on the first day of spring and fall, which we just had, the sun is over the imaginary line of the equator, and in the flat Earth model. We do believe in the equator, but what happens is that in the geocentric model, the sun moves back and forth between this Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. For example, right now, the sun incrementally is moving towards the Tropic of Cancer, which is 23 and a half degrees above the equator. So approximately on June 21st, it'll be somewhere around Havana. And then on December 21st, it'll be over the Tropic of Capricorn in the Southern Hemisphere. That's what attributes the 24 hours of daylight you'll get in Alaska. I, I went to Alaska back in 20, uh, 2005, and we did get almost 24 hours of daylight. That's because the sun was hovering around the Tropic of Cancer, and thus, the cycles, that is the circles of the sun, that's smaller, <clears throat> but yet closer to the North Pole. And that's what uh, gives the northern part of the country or the northern sections of the world more daylight in the summer. For example, where you're at in Great Britain, you probably get uh, 16 to 18 hours of daylight because I think you're on around 51 to 53 degrees latitude. Once you get past 66 and 
a third, you're in the Arctic Circle. And on the first day of summer, the sun doesn't set. It just makes loops in the sky. So essentially in a flat Earth model, it moves back and forth between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn, 180 days on each side. And that is what is responsible for the season. The moon. You said that we hadn't been to the moon and we can't because it's just a ball of light. There are people that have been on this show even that will say that there have been many more missions to the moon that we're just not told about, for instance. There have been some people I've read of, for instance, Jim Mars and the like, that say that the moon is there, but actually it's hollow. And there have been explosions that have gone on it that show that the moon will actually ring like a bell. It does beg the question that why haven't we been back? And you're absolutely right that apparently since the moon landings, all the telemetry data and everything else has suddenly gone missing. I think that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I think that if you've got what arguably was one of man's greatest supposed achievements, why on earth we would lose valuable data like that is absolutely mind-numbing. And in fact, I heard one uh, report that said that it was actually recorded over because they needed another storage facility. So they um, they actually recorded over the data. There are projects like, for instance, Virgin Galactic. I know that there's nothing that's going to take us to the moon. Would you go up in something like Virgin Galactic to see if you could just get to the edge of our atmosphere and see if there was some kind of curvature, if you had the chance? Oh, I would, uh, yes. I would love to go to the edge. I would love to see where the the dome intersects the flat plane and where it does. This flat earth is a lot larger than we've been told. Uh, for example, Antarctica is actually a 60,000 mile long circumnavigatable ice wall. And getting back to the moon, and again, I'll just read this from the book. Uh, astrophysicists postulate the moon doesn't rotate because of the gravitational pull of the earth paralyzes it into a fixed stationary position. Truth be told, and I agree with Jim Mars because it's a Lucifer says so. Truth be told, the moon is a hollow, flat, translucent, crystalline, self-illuminating disk, one that generates its own type of cold light. What is astounding to consider, and, and this is what I believe, and I can't prove it, but I believe the moon and the sun are about 3,500 miles above us. I have no doubt that NASA has gone to the moon, but they haven't landed on the moon because you can't land on a light. It's almost uh, like someone who loves the ocean but can't swim. They can't go in it because they can't adapt to it. You can't land a physical object on a light. And what's deceptive about the moon is that it looks like it's land. But in fact, Jim Mars, and I know who you're talking about, I agree with him. It's translucent and it's hollow. In the song Pink Floyd, there is no dark side of the moon. They're right. There is no dark side of the moon because it's a disk. It's a hollow, illuminating disk that cannot be landed on. But yeah, I have no doubt that NASA has probably uh, done laps around the moon, frustrated, going... Look how close we are. We can't land on this damn thing. Okay, so why? Why would they not, whoever they are, why would they not want us to know that the Earth is flat? What's the advantage for them to make let us think or, and teach us that it's round? Control. There's a, one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. Neo asks the Oracle, well, why do they do it? And she says, well, why do all men do whatever they do? Control. When you can control people, you have power. And if the people are hopeless, they're much easier to control. And I'll just read it to you real quickly. And again, this is Lucifer revealing the secrets of how the universe works. For 500 years, I have propagated the fiction of planet Earth from kindergarten to university. Global brainwashing has been reinforced by the UN, evolutionists, religious institutions, media, and the scientific community. Belief in a spinning ball traveling through a black void of endless space creates a nihilistic, cynical society devoid of love, obsessed with the present, and indifferent to eternity. The heliocentric theory kills purpose while reinforcing a sense of hopelessness. However, the geocentric theory is an evolutionary impossibility which cannot be intellectualized. It is a revolutionary childlike belief igniting the fuel of faith into a burning ember. That which cannot be quantified into a box of space and time 
is the substance of God. Belief in the flat earth compels an atheist to acknowledge intelligent design created by an omnipotent being who controls the unfathomable. A proud intellect will never accept the geocentric theory. It is a slap in evolution's face. Okay, so it's control then? In intelligent design. And if it's intelligent design, who's the designer? In, let's say, the UK, for instance, which is predominantly a Christian country, I presume would have no problem with, with support in a geocentric theory because, like you said, it points to intelligent design. Most cultures in the world all support a god or gods that talk about the fact that they designed the earth so again i i don't i don't kind of get how they are controlling us by actually turning away from the religions that they support well think about organizations like nasa all of their missions apollo the god apollo the god mercury uh even the new project that's supposed to go to mars artemis artemis was the god that was worshipped believe in thessalonia and in the New Testament, Paul was almost killed over it because they were spreading Christianity and were going to usurp uh, that particular religion. When you say most people in the United Kingdom are Christian, I don't know if I believe that. Uh, and in the same, in the same in the United States, I think we live in a very secular world. And ironically, those that are open, I find, are those that don't believe in you know the Christian God. And that's who the book was meant for. This book. When I wrote this book, I knew from the beginning that it was going to be rejected for the most part by the Christian community. It was written for millennials because of all the age groups. And I said that in the cover letter, two thirds of millennials uh, believe the earth is round, which leaves a third, which is an incredible amount of people that doubt it. And what happened is that millennials were born after the internet and everyone else before. So when I was growing up, I saw the moon landing, and Walter Cronkite said it was so, so I believed it. I had three channels. But millennials were born after the Internet and are very suspect, suspicious, and cynical, and rightly so. And so they question everything. That's why I wrote the book from the point of view of Lucifer. It had to come from someone who was a pathological liar who decided to tell the truth and didn't have an agenda. If it came from some guy, again, in his basement with a tinfoil hat, living with his mother, no one's going to listen. But Lucifer has credibility in the world. And when he talks, people listen. And when he decides to tell the truth, which I believe this book is, people will listen. Millennials will listen because they're sick of church. They're sick of religion. They're sick of all the BS. They just want someone to tell them the truth in black and white. So I kept the book really short because they don't have a very long attention span. And I made it, I wrote it in a way that when you read a page, you have to put it down and you get a headache. So it's a short book, but it has to be read three or four times at least to get an idea of what he's saying and how we've been lied to. I got to say, it was a refreshing read. I mean, as I didn't go through the whole thing because I had other things I had to do today, but I, it was a refreshing read and it's definitely something that I'm going to go back to tonight and have another look at. Can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about it? Sure. It's very simple. Uh, just go to Amazon, Morning Star's Tale. And the tale is spelled T-A-L-E. And I should explain that Morning Star is another name for Lucifer. He has a few names. He's known as the Light Bearer, and he's also known as Morning Star, which is the first star to appear in the morning. And so if you go to Amazon and just type in Morning Star's Tale, T-A-L-E, that'll take you right to the book. I've got the uh, ebook on sale. I don't know what it translates into pounds, but it's like two ninety nine American and about five ninety seven for the book. So I've, I've, I've made it attractive. I, I just want people to read the book at this point. You said before we came on air that you were going to take us down the rabbit hole, and I think we've definitely been down it, around it, through it, and, and we're probably still there. Really appreciate you coming on the show. As soon as you sort of reached out to us, we thought we're going to have to give this guy a shot. Like we said, we're going to have listeners that will want to write into us and say they love it, they totally subscribe to it, and we're going to have other listeners that say what the hell, you know, I thought you guys were a little bit more credible or whatever. Well, in my opinion, credibility doesn't come into it because, like I said, you have to hear theories to be able to think about them, ponder them, do your own research, and then obviously make an educated decision. The thing is, if people are hearing the end of this, 
podcast, then you hooked them somehow. It's a three-step journey. When you hear about Flat Earth for the first time, it's visceral. In your gut, you go, no, insane. Then eventually it makes its way into the intellect, into the mind, into the soul. And you go, okay, what is this really about? And then eventually, if you do come over to the other side, uh, it it becomes part of your spirit. It becomes a part of who you are. And all I can say is that the fruit of it is I have more peace than I've ever had and more joy with this subject than anything I've ever talked about in my life because it gives me hope. It gives me hope knowing that we're the center of the universe and that we must be important. Just remember, the heliocentric theory gives you hopelessness. Flat Earth gives you hope because we are important. Obviously, if we're the center of the universe, intelligent design agrees with us. Yeah, and we can all use some hope at this point, can't we? Yeah, the only good part about isolating is it allows me to write and and market and get closer to family. Uh, You know, and again, what's prevalent is this spirit of fear. People are scared to death. And and this is a time where I think we need to encourage people and, and let them know that, you know, don't let fear rule your life. Let faith rule your life. And, and, you know, if you want a great distraction during coronavirus, start investigating Flat Earth on your own. Yeah, read it'll the take book. you down a really cool, <laughs> it'll take you, yeah, it'll take you down a cool rabbit hole. And it's a great distraction. It really is. It's a great distraction. Absolutely. I mean, let's hope that some good will come out of this. I know there's, I'm not going to be flippant about it. There's obviously tragedies going on. But if there is something that we can make out of it, if it is going to bring people closer together and awaken people to the fact that maybe they need to spend a little bit more time doing the things that they enjoy, then maybe, as I said, some good will come out of it. Lee Austin, you've been our guest today. We really appreciate you being on the show with us. Thank you very much. And thank you for the headache that we both now have. I think I should sell aspirin on the side. Thank you, Shelly. Thank you, Bella. Have a terrific day, and thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. No problem. Thank you. So, how is your head? Blown. It is just nuts, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is, but everybody is entitled to their own... No, no, I don't mean it's nuts like he's lying or that he's wrong, because I don't know. And as we saw through that interview, he ran rings around me the interesting thing is is that we're recording this ending after the fact of the interview and i've now had a response back from the pilot that i was talking about and he has said yeah absolutely he'll come on and tell his side of the story and the email i actually got back from him was really funny in in his answer to what lee actually mentioned towards the and we will read that when we get a chance to interview him yeah we'll definitely discuss that he's also got a book that's coming up as well so that's interesting really because he can talk about his book with us as well at the same time so anyone who is interested in aircraft or aviation might find that interesting as well so that's gonna be really cool and it's not a rebuttal argument or anything but it is a take from someone who has been places that a lot of us haven't been yeah it's going to be really interesting to have a chat with him as well i think it is important to have two sides of an argument you know i said this during the show I don't think it would have been fair of us to have just said, no, you can't come on the show. I appreciate that there are going to be people that say, well, actually, I don't think you should have had him on. It's not something you should be promoting. But at the same time, why not? It's an idea. And there's been plenty of times when we've had people on who've said that they've encountered a UFO or whatever. If we were to just say to them straight away, well, I'm sorry, I think you're lying as well, we wouldn't have a show. And, you know, the two sides to every argument thing. Yep. There are two sides to every argument we have. My side and your side, and my side's always right. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. Please be aware that you can go to www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and look at all of our show notes and past shows and everything else. And if you have got some extra time during this crisis and you haven't listened to all of the shows, why not go back to episode one? You'll learn a little bit about us and our story and why we got started in this, and then you can follow the progression on through if you want to. Hey, we've all got time on our hands. Mm. we're not going to be selling any merchandise while all of this is going on because Amazon obviously are going to be concentrating on getting important stuff out and we don't feel that it's going to be very fair selling our stuff at the same time so we're pulling all of our merchandise for now but we'll let you know when that's available again if you want to get in touch with us don't forget you can do via the website via the contact page you can also contact us on Instagram or Twitter we're not working at the moment so 
Give us a shout. You know, we got nothing better to do. We'll have a chat with you. We'll shoot the breeze. But until then, please do stay weird, weird wacky, wacky, and, and wonderful. wonderful. And well. Bye, Nathanette. Oh, man. Ha, <laughs> <laughs>